This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey guys, ready or not, 2024 is here, and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. So in response to three of our service members being killed in Jordan, the U.S. has now launched strikes in two different countries. This, of course, comes on top of the strikes we had already launched in Yemen. So we are now bombing three different countries. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan did a little media tour this weekend to try to explain uh, how we got here and what the plans are going forward. He says we are not finished with these strikes yet. Let's take a listen. Well, George, part of the purpose of the strikes, the central purpose of the strikes has been to take away capabilities uh, from the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria that are attacking our forces and from the Houthis that continue to threaten Red Sea shipping. And we believe they had good effect in reducing, degrading the capabilities of the militias and of the Houthis. And as necessary, we will continue to take action. So, so do you expect more retaliation for the strike against U.S. forces in Jordan earlier this week? Well, the first thing that I would say, and you noted it at the top of your program, is that this was the beginning of our, of our response. There will be more steps. Some of those steps will be seen. Some may not be seen. But there will be more action taken to respond to the death of the tragic death of the three brave U.S. service members. And we cannot rule out that there will be further attacks from Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria or from the Houthis. We have to be clear-eyed about that. And the president in being clear-eyed about that, has told his military commanders that they need to be positioned to respond to further attacks as well. So he says this is the beginning of our response. He also says, hey, we can't rule out that our people are going to continue to be attacked. We've had something like over 160 attacks, attempted attacks on our service members in the region, which raises a whole host of questions. One of those questions being aimed at Jake Sullivan by Kristen Welker. Hey, you guys said you didn't want a wider war. Now, here you are bombing three different countries. Aren't we kind of in that wider war situation yet? Let's take a listen to his response. Is the United States already in a wider war in the Middle East, Jake? What the United States is doing is responding to threats as we see them with significant but proportionate force. But has the war we expanded? Are has the war expanded to- in the region, Jake? Well, first, we don't accept that what's happening in the Red Sea, for example, Kristen, is uh, entirely tied to uh, the war in Gaza because the Houthis are attacking shipping that has absolutely nothing to do with Israel. So there are connections among these things, to be sure, but these are distinct threats as well that we need to deal with uh, on their own basis. So in the Red Sea, we need to deal with the threat to commercial shipping. And we are doing so with a coalition of countries. In Iraq and Syria, we need to deal with threats to our troops. And we are doing so, including with the strikes the president ordered Friday night. I, um, Sagar, am not sure I've ever seen someone look so incredibly dead inside because (laughs) he knows 
right. what he's saying is total nonsense. This idea that, oh, with the Houthis, are, this has nothing to do with Israel. Please, first of all, take them at their word. Like they're telling you, this is about Israel. Not to mention, we know, as I've said many times, as pointed out by many analysts, during the period when there was a brief six-day ceasefire, guess what? Their attacks almost completely stopped, and the attacks on our service members from these other regional militias completely stopped. So this is all about what Israel is doing in Gaza. And then, I don't know how you did, you bombed three countries. How, not to mention what's happening in the Red Sea, not to mention uh, Israel and Lebanon, not to mention even what's unfolding in the West Bank. And you're gonna pretend like, oh no, it's all contained, it's all fine. There's no wider war here. Like how stupid do you think that we are? One thing that really bothers me about this, uh, can we put the map please up on the screen just to show everybody where the three countries and every, all of the strikes that were conducted. This was in Iraq and in Syria. It excludes uh, the strikes that happened in Yemen is what you can see, Crystal, is that it took about a week for us to respond mm. and to bomb these supposed IRGC ha command headquarters of these militias that are tied to Iran. By all accounts, it just seems like some command huts and others were bombed and some low-level militants were killed. Okay, great, in terms of a response. But here's the thing. By their own accounts on the ground, everybody knew that the response was coming. And so the high-level commanders and others, the people who were responsible for launching the drone on American service members, they're long gone. They're back in Iran. But guess what? We, our people have nowhere to go. They're still stuck on the same damn base. Mm -hmm. So they all moved. We telegraphed what was going to happen. The you know people responsible and all of that long ago absconded or you know went underground or whatever. As we continue our response, and our troops are still in the same base, in the same barracks, with the same air sy defense systems, which failed. You know, whenever that drone attack mm -hmm. happened on American service members, or the same uh, bases where missiles were able to get through, they remain sitting ducks. That's I mean, that's why we can't obscure all this in terms of the response and the tit for tat nature. It's not a game. Already three Americans are dead. And it's like, well, they know exactly where we are. We don't have the luxury to go underground or to go elsewhere. Our presidents, our leaders, and everybody else is just like, well, you know, you gotta have this base in Syria in case ISIS, which has been dead for several years, right. comes back. And it's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Why don't we just leave? Why don't we go back? These guys were army reservists. Why were they there in the first place? Anyone wanna tell them that? Like anyone would tell any of those family members or ask them be like, hey, what the hell was my daughter doing in, in Jordan? What was she supporting? For what reason? Can anyone justify this to me? That's no, right. no, that's the problem. They can't like, even explain right. to the American people what actually is the purpose of these people being in the region other than to serve as sitting ducks and, uh, you know, p potentially demanding some sort of escalatory response. I mean, it's always like, you know, this lack of agency over the U.S. Like, oh, we're just getting pulled in. Right. Like we have no other choice. We're just getting pulled into this escalation. Yeah, number one, you don't have to be there. Number two, you have complete control over what your response is. And number three, you even have US officials admitting they know the whole source of this conflict and the escalation is what's going on in Gaza. But rather than dealing with what is very clear the core of the issue, where there there is no de-escalation until that problem is solved. I mean, that is the bottom line. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. What they told the Israelis is like, this is just the beginning of the response. We're going to do more because, of course, the Israelis like want us to get into some hot yeah, regional war and get dragged in completely. So we're telling them, don't worry, we're going to do so much more. We're giving, which this, I mean, I support trying to avoid an escalatory response from Iran. That's the reason why there was a lag, as you point out, to allow them to get sort of their critical leaders out of the way so that we can just like show our strength but through our bonds. Point? Exactly. Well, that's, that's a, like, and that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, like, and that was completely revealed. Yeah. By, and it's the, the same logic applies here. Completely revealed when Biden was asked, so are the strikes against the Houthis working? Yeah. And he says, and I quote, are they working? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. They know this isn't going to degrade their capabilities or de-escalate or do anything of the sort. They just have this foreign policy blob mindset where it's like, they hit us, so we've got to show we're strong and hit back, even though you know it's not going to end the conflict. It's not going to de-escalate the conflict. It's only going to put our service more, members more at risk. And so it's complete insanity. Um, to your point, let's put up the latest. There were more strikes uh, targeted at the Houthis. 
Just in the past days, U.S. and Britain carried out large-scale military strikes on Saturday against multiple sites in Yemen controlled by Houthi militants, according to a statement from those two countries. Those attacks against 36 Houthi targets at 13 sites in northern Yemen came barely 24 hours after the U.S. carried out a series of military strikes against Iranian forces and the militias they support at seven sites in Syria and Iraq. There were 85 targets in Syria and Iraq that were struck on Friday, um, as you know, the map that we just showed demonstrated. So the policy makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And so you increasingly have, I mean, it's hardly a day goes by where you don't have some soundbite from some US, dead-eyed US official like Jake Sullivan trying to deny what is absolutely obvious before anyone's eyes that this has already spread into a wider war. And some of these, I, I, it's like, we're just doing this to feel good. Like you said, we gave them enough time that yeah. all the people were, look, we either kill them or we don't. It's like, what is the point? Also, you know, I don't know if you know this, we used B-1 bombers actually in these strikes. They cost $60,000 an hour to fly, $61,000. And they flew all the way from America to Iraq and back. That's like a 30 some hour round trip. It, this single strike cost millions of taxpayer dollars. For what reason? And it's like, I can never just get around the fact that we just seem to be playing like risk for the purpose of it. Like it's right. a game. Right. As if we're like, well, we gotta show them we're strong here. And it's like, there are real people whose lives were, I mean, they were ended. There were still people in critical condition in hospitals who were injured by this. Okay, so then we have a decision to make. We either are gonna kill the people who are responsible and actually kill them, or we're gonna go down a diplomatic road. I personally, I'm going down the diplomatic road because I don't wanna put more of these people in danger. That's but right. instead, we don't kill the people who are responsible. We kill like their deputies, 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 brother, or whatever happened to be the last idiot who was on the base after a week. And our people are still there and remain uh, in danger. What? What? How, how can you possibly say you're doing this, you know, to support the American service members, to defend, avenge them, whatever, or to ensure that more death will not occur. All of this, as you said, though, Crystal, is downstream of a ceasefire. And I'm curious your thoughts on the latest updates, because I'm personally confused on what is happening. Yeah. So I've, as we've been reporting, there have been ongoing ceasefire talks um, being mediated by the U.S., Qatar is involved. It right. were happening for a while in Paris. And we got conflicting reports yesterday. Originally, there was a report that Hamas had rejected the terms of the temporary ceasefire because they wanted a complete ceasefire right. in exchange for release of all the hostages that they're holding. And some number of Palestinian hostages being held by the Israelis would also be released. Um, put this up on the screen. Then Hamas came out and said, no, 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 we have not rejected the terms of the ceasefire. This is C9, guys, if you can put this up on the screen. Yeah. Um, Hamas denies rejection of the hostage ceasefire deal, says they will deliver answers soon. According to the report, the terror organization is set to demand an increase in the number of Palestinian terrorists released from Israeli prisons. So um, some of the reporting I've seen is that there is a split between the Hamas leadership in Gaza and the Hamas political leadership oh, outside of Gaza, okay. um, where the political leadership will is willing to accept what would be roughly a two-month temporary ceasefire, whereas the uh, military leadership on the ground wants to be more hardline and say, no, we don't accept this unless there is a you know commitment to mm. a complete ceasefire. That's what's being reported. On the Israeli side, there's also huge questions, and we'll get into a little bit more of the dynamics with uh, Netanyahu and then these psycho—I mean, they're all psycho, yeah. but they're, you know, extra psycho Smotrich and Ben Gavir, like actual, you know, terrorists that are part of this government, who are saying they're willing to blow up his government coalition— if he accepts any sort of a hostage exchange deal that would lead to significant release of Palestinian prisoners that are being held. Netanyahu has at times signaled openness to this deal, at times poured cold water on it. So it's also really an open question what's going to go on on the Israeli side. But, you know, if the U.S. actually wants to avoid further escalation into an even hotter, even broader war than what we're seeing, some sort of ceasefire agreement is what we need to be aggressively pushing and what we need to be using our sway and influence with the Israelis in order to achieve. That is the real way. And they know this, by the way. That is the real way 
to achieve security for our service members, um, to stop the bloodshed in Gaza and be able to get in some significant humanitarian aid so people are no longer starving to death and dying of communicable diseases, et cetera. Um, it's also in the interest of Israeli security because long term, the longer this horrific bombing and humanitarian situation unfolds on the ground in Gaza, there is no doubt that you are birthing more and more and more people who are committed to hating you and violent resistance. So um, the, the crazy thing, Sagar, is that it's not like U.S. officials don't know this. Tony Blinken even said he knows there's no military solution to Hamas. So it's like, what are we doing here? Biden admits he knows these strikes aren't working. Jake Sullivan is, you know, at pains to try to explain how this policy makes any damn sense. Like, they all know that the policy is insane. It's not going to accomplish the things that they claim to want to accomplish. And yet it's like they, they can't help themselves but to continue down the same path. It seems, though, that they at least behind the scenes are trying to push forward. So apparently Secretary Blinken, this just happened moments ago, just landed in Riyadh um, in Saudi Arabia to try and to push for the peace framework in Gaza for the ceasefire. It remains unclear to me, though, how much influence Riyadh actually even has over the ceasefire uh, in terms of pressure on Hamas. I believe Qatar is the one, you know, where a lot of this is happening. As he said, I guess we're just in a wait and see period. To yeah, see what but the I mean, listen, this ties into about. U.S. domestic politics, yeah. too, because we may cover this tomorrow. You know, the House is putting forward just like Israel aid with no, yeah. certainly no conditions, but also even no pay fors to the tune of $14 billion. The Senate has a separate package that they're yeah. pushing. It would be very easy for the White House to say, no, you're not getting any of it unless you all are serious about the ceasefire. And Netanyahu, right now, all of his interests are in the direction of um, being swayed by the, you know, the extremists who don't want any sort of ceasefire ever, who want to ethnically cleanse Gaza, who want to resettle the entire Gaza Strip. I mean, are out there actively talking about it. All of his political incentives lie in that direction. So if the U.S. isn't willing to come in with some sort of force and apply some sort of pressure that, you know, we have plenty of, given our financial support for this country over a long period of time, then it is more likely that you're not going to be able to come to some sort of ceasefire deal, that the conflict is not going to end and that our service members are going to continue to be at risk. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary, stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybretza.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. At the same time, Biden, I'm interested in uh, Sagar's reaction to this. There's a big debate over whether this is meaningful at all. Put this up on the screen. Biden just... Uh, on the day that he was traveling to Michigan, a state with a significant Arab American population, issued an executive order 
sanctioning four Israeli settlers over West Bank violence. Um, he says that violence in the West Bank has reached, quote, intolerable levels. The sanctions, I'm reading from this article from the BBC, block the individuals from accessing all U.S. property assets in the American financial system. Violence in the West Bank has spiked since Hamas launched an unprecedented attack on Israel on October 7th. Some 370 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since then, in the West Bank, guys, according to the U.N., the majority of those have been killed by Israeli forces, but at least eight of them have been killed by Israeli settlers, the UN said. Um, and as I mentioned, no accident that this, uh, what I would consider a sort of like symbolic gesture of caring about the rule of law and uh, violence against Palestinians comes on a day when Biden was traveling to Michigan, the Arab American Institute quoted in this article of pointing out that support by Arab Americans for the Democratic Party has plummeted from 59%, that was in 2020, to just 17 percent. These sanctions can't be applied to American citizens, although some of them are thought to be involved in the violence. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said the U.S. does believe the sanctions will have an impact on these four individuals and expects Israel to do more to hold accountable those responsible for settler violence. Um, what do you think about this move, Sagar? I mean, it just seems, look, I, it seems rather toothless. At the same time, it is having a, it, it's, Two things. Obviously, it is the correct decision, I think, if that is going to be the stated U.S. policy of saying that we are pro-two-state solution, then you can't be uh, endorsing or not having sanctions on the West Bank, especially because, I don't know if people know this, there are American citizens who are inside the West Bank who are currently being prevented from actually passing into Israel, which is an Israeli violation of the U.S. Wow. visa law uh, that we currently have with them because we have, anyway, in terms of our citizenship, much of this is downstream of the overall settler policy. Now, the actual sanctions that have been put into place, as you said, are only on four people. Clearly, they should probably be extended to the, you know, to a much larger group of people who are involved in the overall action because it is a direct contravention of stated U.S. State Department policy going back at least two decades. The thing is, is that even with the four, as you said, it is still receiving like maximalist pushback inside of Israel yeah. because it is being denounced as anti-Semitic. But it does actually show you the extension of the power of the U.S. empire because they can cry all they want. Their banks are still complying with the order That's right true. now because if you want to do business with America and you are in violation of OFAC, you will get your ass handed to you in the global financial system. Yeah, and yeah. so a few things about the specifics of this executive order, and I think your points are all yeah. really well taken there. I mean, first of all, let's just keep in mind every one of these settlements is illegal under international law and contravention of U.S. state, long-standing yeah. U.S. Let's state just stick with U.S. policy. policy. It is against U.S. Policy. It is against U.S. Here, policy. Trump it also yeah. is considered, you know, a blanket around the globe, right. illegal, according to international law. So both of those things are true. So when you have a policy that's just aimed at four people who, um, you know, were involved, were directly violent and inciting violence against Palestinians, it's almost like a tacit, like, ah, oh, well, the settlements themselves are okay, but there's just a few bad apples that we want to go after. That's number one. Number two, I think it's very telling that of the 370 Palestinians who've been killed in the West Bank since October 7th, um, eight of them were killed by Israeli settlers. Now, there's been massive violence by Israeli settlers against Palestinians, and that has ramped up post-October 7th. Even before October 7th, this was one of the most violent years on record in terms of um, settlers, settler violence against Palestinians, but the overwhelming majority of Palestinians are being killed by the government. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a sort of a, a sort of faint here or an idea here that, you know, the government government's official policy isn't these settlers and isn't uh, being pursued. The, the government's ends aren't being pursued by the settlers who are continuing to violently push Palestinians off of their land. When, in fact, for decades under both right wing and supposedly liberal prime ministers, the settlements have continued to expand. And this has been official government policy of the Israeli government. And oftentimes, when settlers are engaging in violence against Palestinians, they are being backed up by the IDF. In fact, Sarah, you'll recall mm -hmm. that part of why they were caught so unawares on October 7th and the response was such shit to protect their own Israeli citizens on October 7th was because the IDF had been moved from that part of Israel near Gaza to the West Bank in order to protect these settlers. So, but, but to your point, 
it doesn't mean the fact that it's like toothless and doesn't really do anything and it's just sort of a symbolic, like pathetic gesture doesn't stop the Israelis from completely freaking out about it. Netanyahu responded, Israel takes action against all lawbreakers everywhere. What a bunch of bullshit that is. And therefore, there is no need for unusual measures on the issue. Um, that's from Netanyahu's office. Uh, put this next one up on the screen. Uh, ben Gavir reacted, urging the U.S. officials to rethink President Biden's wrong about the citizens of the state of Israel and the heroic settlers. Those who are attacked, those who are pelted with stones and attempt to hurt and murder them are the heroic settlers in Judea and Samaria. They're named for the West Bank. But this one, keep this up on the screen, is really incredible. Smochurch is basically calling Biden anti-Semitic. He says the settler violence campaign is an anti-Semitic lie that enemies of Israel disseminate to smear the pioneering settlers and the settlement enterprise and harm them and thus smear the entire state of Israel. So, you know, the fact that this is like policy is sort of pathetic ass covering some sort of, you know, sop to attempt to win back some portion of the Arab American population, which certainly is not going to happen so long as we're, you know, backing the Netanyahu government in every other way. That doesn't mean that the Israelis aren't going to completely freak out about it because they're not used to being checked by this administration in any way whatsoever. Well, I think they're not really check, used to getting checked by the U.S. government. That's but right. It does demonstrate again to me that, you know, the arm of the empire is long. And, you know, like I said, you just because you can bitch and moan, but your banks are going to have to cut your ass off. It if you want to do business with us. And this is, again, I mean, this is where I have to come back to. This is Israel. It's not Russia. It's not China. Russia's got a lot of oil. It's got a military base. China is the same thing. I mean, they may not have as much oil, but they have a lot of industry. They can build their own things. This is a tiny little strip of land which relies predominantly on exports and imports in order to keep their economy functioning. So when you're in that situation, you need to maintain ties with the global financial system, with everybody, with you need the Red Sea to be functioning and all these things to have the basics of the modern Israeli way of life, which is like a first world European standard. It costs a lot to bring all these things in. And in that, then you need the support of the European Union, the United States, Russia, and China. And you're, you're beginning to lose support and, you know, with all of these actors, even here for America to put sanctions on the West Bank, it may be, as you said, a couple of people. It's still pretty extraordinary. It doesn't happen, you know, all that much in modern history. So for that to, for to us to be in a part where this is being imposed and the standards and all that are being set, the overall showdown is going to happen at some point. Because at a certain point, let's say with the ceasefire, we're going to have a two-month ceasefire. Let's say that happens. And the Israelis are torn about whether to restart or not. It's still going to come down to the fact that the United States policy and the Arab policy as well is to demand a two-state solution. And then the question will come to America and others. Are we going to impose, impose sanctions on people who are in direct violation of overall American policy? Mm -hmm. Under Biden, that may not be, the answer may not be yes, but the answer may be yes sometime in the future. And as we have seen now, we have the Clinton administration who dealt with this problem and forward. Like this is, you know, the Carter administration, the generation before them. This is not going away. And so when you open these types of things as policies, for them as a country, it is genuinely existential. Um, there was a remarkable interview with uh, Inamar Ben-Gavir by the Wall Street Journal, which had a lot of pieces which are quite noteworthy. Now, as I've been pointing out, he and Smotrich are willing to throw their weight around. Netanyahu has, you know, is barely holding on to power by his fingertips. And it's becoming increasingly impossible to keep this coalition together. Israelis overwhelmingly went, want Netanyahu gone, and he basically is just there as long as the war goes on, which is why he wants the war to go on indefinitely. But put this up on the screen. They lay out in this Wall Street Journal piece, the headline is the Israeli firebrand driving Netanyahu further to the right, and Amar Ben-Gavir spells on his plan for resettling Gaza. That would be a cleansing during a rare interview and says Trump would be better for Israel than President Biden. I mean, that shows you how <laughs> crazy these people are, is that he doesn't think that Biden has gone far enough when this man has given unconditional support, rushed weapons there, circumvented U.S. policy in order to do so, et cetera, et cetera. But he thinks Trump would even get, provide them an even freer hand. It wouldn't even do the little like symbolic hand wringing mm. that Biden does basically. But what they write here is uh, Ben Gavir told the Wall Street Journal, Netanyahu is, quote, at a crossroads um, and he has to choose in what direction he will go. He's got enough support, Ben Gavir does, in the ruling coalition to undermine Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's rule. And he says he is willing to use it. In his first interview with a foreign news organization since joining the government, Ben Gavir warned he would oppose any deal with Hamas 
that would free thousands of Palestinians, held for terrorism, or end the war before Hamas was fully defeated. Well, Hamas, there is no military solution to Hamas, as their own policymakers have said. This has probably only strengthened Hamas for the long term. Um, an increasing portion of Israelis, they write, especially on the right, instead view the October 7th attack as a chance to start a new course for Israel by resettling the battle-scarred enclave. Ben Gavir laid on his own plan for Gaza, which would repopulate the devastated coastal strip with Israeli settlements, while Palestinians would be offered financial incentives to leave. Um, that was part of what was outlined at that uh, ethnic cleansing resettlement conference that I covered um, recently, that we covered here on the show recently as well. Ben Gavir also said he thought the Biden administration was hampering Israel's war effort and said he believed Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump would give Israel a freer hand to quash Hamas. Ben Gavir's approach is gaining popularity. Once a fringe idea, a small majority of Jewish Israelis now fully or somewhat support the establishment of Jewish settlements inside Gaza, according to a poll conducted by Tel Aviv University last month. Mm -hmm. So, Sagar, he is actively threatening to blow up the Netanyahu coalition if any sort of a ceasefire is agreed to, which is why it's so important that you have the U.S. willing on the other side to use some sort of leverage and actual power in order to secure an end to this, because, I mean, this is a disaster for Palestinians, a disaster for Israelis, it's a disaster for us, for our interest in the region, for our service members, et cetera. Yeah, we're just gotta wait and see what happens. If it and that's why we're highlighting that interview is because uh, if we do have a ceasefire, he very much could move and he could, you know, blow up the government. And then who the hell knows what comes next? Truly have no idea. Yeah, that's right. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary, stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybretza.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. At the same time, the media continuing to cover themselves in glory in their coverage of this conflict. And some truly shocking pieces were published over the weekend that we had to take note of. This first one is just, I, I genuinely can't believe they published this. Put this up on the screen. Wall Street Journal. Welcome to Dearborn, America's jihad capital. Imams and politicians in the Michigan city side with Hamas against Israel and Iran against the US. Um, I, this whole piece is insane. I mean, they smear this American city, which has a, a majority Arab American population outside of Detroit as being, uh, you know, full of terrorists and jihadists. Of course, there have not been any terror attacks or incidents in uh, the city of Dearborn. Furthermore, they smear this entire city, of course, based on the actions or words of a few. They also use things like protest chants to try to claim they're supporting Hamas or supporting terrorism, et cetera. 
Um, here's a line from it. They say, open support for Hamas is spreading. Since October 7th, similar protests have occurred in major American cities featuring pro-jihadist imagery, chants, and slogans. Rallies are now also expressing support for the Iran-backed Houthis who are lobbing missiles at Israel and trying to sink commercial vessels in the Red Sea. What's happening in Dearborn, they say, isn't simply a political problem for Democrats. It's potentially a national security issue affecting all Americans. Counterterrorism agencies at all levels should pay close attention. So, Sagar, as if it's not enough to, um, you know, level this racist smear against an entire city, they also want to call in the, uh, you know, FBI and CIA to make sure to investigate and surveil the uh, residents of the city as well. Yeah, the thing is, is if you're going to say it's in America's jihad capital, that you got to provide evidence that the vast majority of the people in the city actually support terrorism. And as usual in this conflict, like when you actually look at it, they are people who are supporting a Palestinian state or who are protesting against the Israeli military campaign. It's the exact inverse of saying like any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic because it's conflating religion with a conflict over land. It's like, that's what actually drives me the craziest yeah. about this entire thing. I mean, and I know I'm dispassionate because I don't particularly care what, who controls the land or whatever. And you can look at it through more for our, uh, you know, in terms of interests, but the conflation religiously with land over a century old conflict, which is far less old than the actual religions themselves does nobody any good. And Whenever he cites, you know, supposed evidence or any of these within there, he highlights like a few leaders or imams or others and doesn't talk about the actual population. We spoke to the mayor who was popularly elected. He says, I'm concerned about civilian casualties in Gaza. Yeah. And that's why I may not support Biden. Okay. That's not terrorism. You can agree or disagree. Again, it is a totally legitimate position, I think, to hold in U.S. politics. And so, yeah, it's a smear. There's no other way to say it. And, you know, you you could flip it and just say, I mean, what if I, you know, I live in a, in a neighborhood with a lot of uh, Jews, a lot of people who are very pro-Israel. I sent you a picture of uh, the gay pride flag with the Israeli, uh, with the Israeli flag superimposed on it. What if you were to say that these people are all dual nationals and are not real American citizens? Mm -hmm. You cannot say that, you know, like, yeah, they support it. Okay, that's fine. You know, whatever, you're very Jewish American, but you cannot smear them without actually knowing their character and what they call for. Now, accusations of dual loyalty are, I think, legitimate if we're talking about individual actors who have in the past said that they have a direct allegiance to a foreign country, fine. But you cannot say that to an overall group of people, especially when you do not have evidence to back yeah, that I up. I mean, it's, it's absolutely outrageous. The mayor um, did respond and uh, put this up on the screen. He said, it's 2024 and the Wall Street Journal is still pushing out this type of garbage. Reckless, bigoted, Islamophobic. Dearborn is one of the greatest American cities in our nation. Fastest growing city in Michigan, home to the number one travel destination in Michigan. That's the Greenfield Village Henry Ford Museum, home of the Ford Motor Company, coffee, food, food oh. culture capital of Michigan and among the most diverse cities in Michigan. This was so egregious that even President Biden was like, all right, I got to say something about this one, especially <laughs> as he was heading, you know, right, to, to Michigan, Michigan and like is at least somewhat aware that this has become a massive issue, potentially terminal issue for his presidential campaign. Put that up on the screen. He issued this sort of like weak need, you know, no place for hate thing. Americans know that blaming a group of people based on the words of a small few is wrong. That's exactly what can lead to Islamophobia and anti-Arab hate. And it shouldn't happen to the residents of Dearborn or any American town. We must continue to condemn hate in all forms. And there's also an element of this saga, I think, that's quite central to this. I mean, it really is such a post-2001 flashback. There's the use of fear to try to, you know, bolster the national security state. There's the, you know, just smearing of entire groups of people. There's the conflating of free speech and political dissent with terrorism and support for terrorism, which is completely you know, outrageous and insane. So just absolutely disgusting and wild that this was able to make it to the the pages of a prominent newspaper. In I mean, I looked into it. It's from the Middle East Research Memory, which is an organization here in D. This is all like goes back to, you know, some of the 
the, some of the jihad watch days of the mm-hmm. early 2000s. Oh, so God. it's not actually all that surprising uh, whenever we consider it. Yeah. Anyway. But this kind of crop was used to justify an expansion of the surveillance and security um, capabilities of the state that ha- will never be rolled back and only get expanded further. So that's the main concern. Very wary is that of that. If you read it, he's like, oh, national security, FBI, and all these other people should take advantage. I'm like, listen, we watched it all happen. The post 9 11 security state pivoted after the Iraq war and after the so called terrorism and using entrapment and all of this. How do you think that Whitmer kidnapping case or whatever you want to call it actually came to occur? They got a lot of practice in ensnaring and entrapping a lot of people. Um, Now, this is my personal favorite. I've always hated Thomas Friedman Mm. um, because he's like- a lot uh, of good reasons for that. Somebody, you know the Big Bang Theory, that show? It's very popular. And somebody said, this is a dumb person's idea of what a smart person would uh, talk. So (laughs) that's kind of how I think of Thomas Friedman. He is a uh, dumb person's idea of what a foreign policy intellectual Mm -hmm. would look like. Mm -hmm. And uh, his most recent column highlights that. Let's put this up there on the screen. He says, um, understanding the Middle East through the animal kingdom. Oh, that's going to go well. Now, keep in mind that this is the man who has often talked about his excitement and insight into Middle Eastern politics by talking to taxi drivers Mm -hmm. while he's abroad. Mm -hmm. Notoriously, of course, the best people uh, to tell you about what's going on. Let's go to the next part here. Um, To explain the situation, he says, the U.S. is like an old lion. We are still the king of the Middle East jungle, more powerful than any of the single actor, but we are a tired lion. That's why other predators are no longer afraid to test us. Iran is like a parasitoid wasp is to nature. Now, is there a better description of Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq today? They are the caterpillars. The IRGC is the wasp. The Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, Qatab, Hezbollah are all the eggs that hatch inside of the host. Lebanon, Yemen, Syria, and Iraq and eat it out from the inside out. We have no counter strategy that safely and efficiently kills the wasp without setting fire to the whole jungle. Now, look, I, I, I get what he's going for. I guess. Uh, That said, I would generally avoid animal metaphors whenever we're talking um, about people and others. But the other thing is, this doesn't even make any sense. This idea of parasitoid, wasp, old lions. First of all, those don't exist in the same place. But second, I mean, why can't you just describe the situation for what it is? Why do we have to use the animal kingdom metaphor at all? Why are we like, well, the U.S. is a preeminent hegemon in the region, a regional power. It has diminishing influence. Iran is a rising hegemon, which has satellite states, much like Europe, uh, such like uh, Russia does in the post-Soviet Union. It's not a difficult concept for people to understand. And I would actually say that I would come away from this if I knew nothing even more confused about the situation. So it's not even a particularly helpful explainer. Yeah, not to mention, not a great idea to compare human beings to insects and vermin at a time when the ICJ and the U.S. court just plausibly found that Israel is committing genocide. Just going to throw that out there. Not really a great idea. He closed that column by saying, sometimes I contemplate the Middle East by watching CNN. Other times I prefer Animal Planet. Okay. Imagine you said that about Africa. Yeah, well. How would people, it should be the exact same reaction. I think Ryan tweeted like, first of all, it seems like he was like on shrooms or something when he wrote this. And second of all, how the hell did any editor not look at this and be like, you can't compare human beings to animals, let alone (laughs) insects, and think that this is going to be okay, not to mention... On top of, like, outside of the the racism and the dehumanization, this doesn't make any goddamn sense. How was there no one at the New York Times, which supposedly cares about racism, how did no one look at this and say, you know what, maybe let's cut this one out and try for a different a different draft that doesn't compare human beings to watching the animal planet. Not that watching appear, CNN is a better choice in terms that. of understanding the Middle East. I actually think that's worse. Um, <laughs> he, it does appear to have been deleted, but they haven't. So I'm on his byline. It is no longer there. It was available yesterday. That's why we had those screenshots. So maybe they did take it down so I think after the pushback. When I looked it up yesterday, it was hard to find, but it was right. still there. They sort yeah. of like buried it under a bunch of other columns. It is so. no longer there uh, under his byline. And wow. it was yesterday whenever right. we were preparing for the segment. Um, at the same time, 
meantime, CNN's own staffers are calling them out for what they describe as journalistic malpractice. This is according to a report from The Guardian. We can put this up on the screen. This is pretty wild. So CNN staff says network's pro-Israel slant amounts to journalistic malpractice. Um, the majority of news, this is according to one staffer that they interviewed, since the war began, regardless of how accurate the initial reporting has been skewed by a systemic and institutional bias within the network towards Israel, ultimately CNN's coverage of the Israel-Gaza war amounts to journalistic malpractice. According to accounts from six CNN staffers in multiple newsrooms and more than a dozen internal memos and emails obtained by The Guardian, daily news decisions are shaped by a flow of directives from the CNN headquarters in Atlanta that have set strict guidelines on coverage. They include tight restrictions on quoting Hamas and reporting other Palestinian perspectives, while Israeli government statements are taken at face value. In addition, every story on the conflict must be cleared by the Jerusalem Bureau before broadcast or publication. The Guardian here basically confirming the reporting of yeah, um, Daniel Bogoslaw at The Intercept, which we covered at the time, that CNN has made a conscious choice to root all of their Israel coverage and Gaza coverage through the Jerusalem Bureau, which is subject to this IDF censorship regime. And so every story that goes in comes out on the other side with the you know language uh, downplayed and Palestinians dehumanized. And of course, Israeli government statements are immediately greenlit and included. Palestinian perspectives downplayed or erased altogether. Um, there was a piece in here because, uh, you know, we've covered, there have been, like last week I covered the, um, how Jeremy Diamond, one of CNN's reporters, stumbled on, they actually drove yeah, him cemetery. through a desecrated cemetery and he was like, hey, what the hell is going on with this? And caught them in a complete lie. So I don't want to say they haven't done any valuable reporting, but apparently those on the ground reports, which have at times been fairly solid, are vastly downplayed on the U.S. version of CNN. And, you know, everything else that gets rooted through this Jerusalem Bureau is just, you know, classic, like the language for Israelis is very evocative. It's very visceral. The language for Palestinians is, you know, killed in a blast, no blame assignment, et cetera, et cetera, as we've shown before. So really confirming what The Intercept showed before. Yeah, I mean, look, once again, it's one of those where we show Israeli statements and Palestinian statements all the time. I don't see why it's all that difficult. You can just parse both and be skeptical and just be like, okay, here's what one side said and here's what the other side said. And they just to decide that they don't want to do that. The thing is for them, and I think this in general, is they, they're they in a place where if you're going to have people sign off from the Jerusalem Bureau, then what's the point even in speaking out or whatever? It's like, clearly, these they have committed themselves to narrative, to access, and to all that. To a certain extent, I understand because how they'll probably just kick you out of the country, but you need to have a lot more disclosure, which is what I appreciated in the past when they would air some of these things, as opposed to some of the silent things. They were like, listen, to, in order to film inside Gaza, we had to provide to this the IDF and they straight up censor whatever they want. But the silent censorship that goes through, you know, on the back end that they yeah. don't disclose, that's actually what I think is the most pernicious. It's very pernicious. Yeah. It's really pernicious. And, you know, there have been uh, multiple analyses. I think also some of these were by The Intercept as well at the language that's used. Yeah to describe yeah, Palestinians versus the language that's used to describe Israelis, how much Israeli deaths are covered versus actually as the Palestinian death toll rose, they got covered less. So these do represent, you know, not a one-off, you know, oh, this particular story maybe shouldn't have compared the Middle East to the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. It really does represent a systematic bias at CNN in particular, but the truth of the matter is a similar bias has been proven by that type of analysis at basically every Western media outlet. Um, but I have to say to have your own journalist saying that what you're doing amounts to journalistic malpractice is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. All right, Crystal, what are you taking a look at? Another day, another hefty load of evidence for The Hague against Israel. The IDF has been forced to admit that they have been running a propaganda channel on Telegram aimed at Israeli citizens that featured snuff films of Palestinians being murdered, dehumanized as insects and vermin, their bodies desecrated, and the destruction of Gaza glorified. Here are the details. The channel named 72 Virgins Uncensored celebrated everything from a Palestinian being repeatedly run over to a mother grieving over her son to the destruction of places of worship and reduction of Gaza City to rubble. The existence of the channel has been known for some time. It was created on October 9th. Haaretz was the first mainstream outlet to cover its existence in early December of last year. Now, in that first report, 
they were able to cite a senior military official who anonymously confirmed that the IDF was in fact directing the channel. At the time, however, the IDF denied those claims. Now, in a follow-up, the IDF has been forced to admit that their own propaganda unit was behind 72 virgins the whole time. Here is Haaretz with that reporting, quote, reversing an earlier denial, Israeli military officials have admitted that the Telegram channel 72 virgins uncensored was operated by members of a department of the Israeli Defense Forces Operations Directorate. The admission comes after a Haaretz published an expose on the channel last month, which led to an internal investigation into the matter. The probe conducted by Major General Oded Basiak, head of the Operations Directorate, found that the information that led to the original denial that the channel was operated by or on behalf of the army was incorrect and relied on misinformation relayed by members of the influencing department. In the wake of these findings, the unit's wartime commander is to end his military service. So now the IDF claims that the influencing department was in fact running the channel, but they were just freelancing, doing so without authorization. You can make your own judgments about how accurate this new version of the story is. Haaretz also documented some of the genocidal language, gore, and war crimes that were celebrated on this channel. Quote, an October 11th post read, burning their mother, you won't believe the video we got. You can hear their bones crunch. We'll post it right away. Get ready. Photos of Palestinian men captured by the IDF in the strip and the bodies of what they describe as terrorists were captioned, exterminating the roaches, exterminating the Hamas rats, share this beauty. A video of a soldier allegedly dipping machine gun bullets in pork fat is captioned, what a man, greases bullets with lard, you won't get your virgins. Another caption was, garbage juice, another dead terrorist, you have to watch it with the sound, you'll die laughing. Analyst Knox Bilal has been tracking the content on the channel as well. According to Bilal, on 72 virgins, you could find this video of buildings in Gaza being demolished. Each time one is reduced to rubble, the twirling menorah on the screen gets another candle. The caption reads, burn Gaza down. You can also find some of the images that horrified the world but apparently delighted the Israeli audience of 72 virgins. Men and young boys being detained and humiliated in Gaza. Here's what they apparently considered a hilarious post advertising a destroyed building as if it was luxury real estate. Gaza, six rooms, 360 degree view, spacious roof, street with lots of parking exclusively for sale. For those interested, a pool can be added, LOL. Many commentators have been shocked by the willingness of IDF soldiers to publish TikToks advertising their war crimes and atrocities to the world. Incredibly, the shock was often at their willingness to publish these crimes rather than the commission of the crimes themselves. But here we have the propaganda unit of the IDF itself running a snuff aggregation channel. It makes several things really quite clear. First, far from being ashamed of their war crimes, the IDF and the Israeli government want Jewish Israelis to know just how brutal they are actually being, how complete the destruction and annihilation and suffering. After all, remember that polls found only 1.8% of Israeli Jews thought the IDF were using too much firepower. Nearly 60% thought they were not using enough. And since the IDF can't actually accomplish any of their supposed military objectives, brutality is meant to substitute for success. After all, Hamas is not destroyed. The IDF has killed more of their own hostages than they have rescued. The tunnel system is largely intact and far from creating a shock in the population that would lead them to abandon their fight, the Israelis have only strengthened the logic of violent resistance among Palestinians. Domestically, Israel is suffering a tremendous economic blow and inching closer to outright global pariah status, having already been found to be plausibly committing genocide. Even the pathetic and genocide-abetting Biden administration, alongside the pathetic and genocide-abetting Sunak UK government, are considering unilateral recognition of a Palestinian state. Hamas is likely strengthened, and the security of the Israeli people has only been further compromised. So gore, horror, and incitement to genocide are proffered as a way to cover for the abject systematic failure to accomplish any of the supposed goals of this operation. The IDF atrocity TikToks are not a bug, but a feature of this system, not just allowed, but encouraged. After all, this entire 72 Virgins channel was sustained and populated with multiple posts daily, including confidential operational details for months by the very unit dedicated to putting out the version of the war and the messaging on the war that the official powers that be want to see propagated. I'm reminded of Harat's recent report from the ethnic cleansing conference just held in Israel intended by more than a dozen government ministers 
According to their journalists there on the ground, the most rapturous response was reserved for exactly this type of content. Quote, the biggest response came for videos of soldiers in Gaza calling for the strip to be resettled, shouting out that there are no innocents or photographing themselves with banners for the Katif block that is the former settlements in the Gaza Strip. So stop being puzzled by the mystery of IDF soldiers filming their atrocities. These same TikToks, which spark revulsion around the globe, are met with awe and admiration by the domestic population on whom Netanyahu and co depend on for their grip on power. The soldiers committing those crimes, they're celebrated as heroes. Now, it is cold comfort for the Palestinians who are being subjected to torture, starvation, mass killings, and complete annihilation of their civil society. But every one of these incidents makes it that much more difficult for the Israeli government to wriggle their way out of those ICJ genocide charges. How can you argue that Bibi's calls to destroy Amalek or President Herzog's declaration that there are no innocent civilians or Defense Secretary Gallant's comment that they are fighting human animals be taken as anything other than official government policy when the IDF is running a channel to glorify actions entirely consistent with these genocidal comments? How can you possibly view these comments and actions as fringe when they're being pushed as the official face of the war by the IDF propaganda unit? The genocidal snuff films broadcast by 72 virgins are official government policy. And um, Sagar, I think it's important for people to recognize- And if you want to hear my reaction to Crystal's monologue, become a premium subscriber today at breakingpoints.com. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybretza.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Lever was able to get their hands on some internal documents from APAC, a tremendous force in U.S. politics, revealing some of their top donors. We can go ahead and put this up on the screen. Headline here, inside the Israel lobby's new $90 million war chest, internal APAC materials reveal huge gifts from moguls and the strategies lobbyists use to score the cash. Joining us now in order to break down that bombshell report is senior enterprise reporter for The level Lever, Amos Barshad. Great to have you, Amos. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, of course. Just tell us a little bit to start with about what you found here. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, we uh, were able to, uh, through the course of our reporting, uh, learn a good amount about, you know, internal APAC uh, uh, information, uh, namely donors. Uh, uh, these are not donors that are public under, you know, election disclosure laws um, and uh also specifically the amount of money that has come in kind of um, uh, at the end of 2023. Uh, and then from there also uh, some of the um, uh, manners in which they were uh, able to solicit the donations, the uh, the actual kind of talking points and, you know, effectively the way that uh, 
APEC speaks to its own donors, which is, um, you know, despite, uh, you know, the APEC's long and well, well covered um, history, uh, you know, as far as uh, being a political player, uh, this is not um, stuff that has previously uh, been covered at length. So mm. tell us, tell us about some of the people uh, that you were able to uncover, Amos. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, 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 finance, private equity individuals, um, uh, a good amount of kind of well-known founders of companies uh, uh, from from uh, companies like Zumba, uh, the uh, the founder of the Sharper Image, uh, uh, the uh, uh, name uh, one name in particular that uh, that uh, may be well known, or at least the company may be well known as the. Um, the uh, owner of OnlyFans, the uh, uh, internet platform that's kind of well known for um, yeah, adult content. Uh, Leon Dravinsky, uh, uh, we should say that he uh, denied uh, being a donor, uh, uh, but there was some information specifically uh, uh, a wire transfer from his wife um, to APAC, which um, which we weren't able to get comment on from him. So, um, Amos, so I actually have that part of the report, if I could just read it because it's kind of entertaining. Um, you say that three individuals named on the list denied being donors. That includes Leonid Radvinsky, the billionaire owner of OnlyFans. Um, according to the internal documents, Radvinsky and his wife pledged $11 million to APAC, the most of anyone listed. Quote, I didn't donate or pledge $11 million, Radvinsky wrote in an email, and this applies to me, my foundation, my family. When the lever asked Radvinsky why APAC had listed him as a donor, he replied, I don't know. When the lever asked Radvinsky to comment on internal APAC documentation showing a wire transfer from his wife to APAC, Radvinsky stopped responding. <laughs> so uh, once you showed him the actual documentation, suddenly he didn't have any more to say. Uh, we, we we asked him to comment. We, we yeah, just to specify, we didn't share uh, the uh, the actual documentation. Yeah. We asked him to comment on that. Yeah, the whole the whole experience of reporting this was very interesting and at times colorful and intense. Um, yeah, basically cold calling billionaires, um, and <laughs> uh, they don't like that. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think at the same time, you know, some of the people that I spoke to were happy to, to explain why they were donors. Um, and I think that was illuminating, uh, as well as, uh, you know, hearing some of the talking points directly from APAC. Um, yeah, I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot to learn as far as, um, the, the, the internal narrative, the internal conversations that are happening, I guess you could say like within the APAC community. So Amos, why did APAC solicit this money? from these donors? What are they asking the money for? To what purpose? For a campaign? For intervening in primaries? Give us an insight into the pitch and why people were able, were willing to donate that money. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, so the, the, the through line, the headline is always, you know, to strengthen the uh, Israeli-U.S. relationship. You know, the idea is that both countries are better off for it. And then specifically, um, this is kind of, uh, you know, it gets kind of into the, the nitty gritty, but uh, APAC is a, uh, a social welfare organization. So uh, their legal, legally their primary purpose can't be politics. So this money uh, uh, can't necessarily be uh, spent on politics. Um, like within that, there's a, a wide range of ways in which it can ultimately affect, uh, you know, the political process. But that's why it's not um, beholden to um, to federal election disclosure laws. So when they are asking for the money, they don't they don't ask for it for any specific purposes like that. Um, it's really always about, uh, uh, you know, Israel is at war and needs us, um, you know, through your support. For for Israel right now, you too are part of this greater effort. You know, uh, you know, uh, one of the uh, speakers through one of the events that we that we uh, reviewed, uh, you know, was speaking and suggesting that uh, the supporters of APAC are now mobilized in the war effort. You know, literally part of the war effort um, uh, in this in this dramatic and 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 kind of uh, I guess you could say a bit over the top way. And you know, I think I think uh, I think it's interesting because. You know, there's not a lot of conversation about the overall, you know, impact in Gaza. There's a lot of, there was a good amount of conversation about civilian casualties, but only so far as to say that the IDF is uh, doing its best to minimize the civilian casualties. Uh, and then the the pitch is always, you know, this community, uh, the through line of the pitch is often, you know, this community is coming together, you know, so solidarity, you know, they need us, uh, they need you, they need your support financially. Um, and, and it becomes, um, you know, a way to uh, to have impact beyond uh, just giving money, right? It's like uh, it's like you're you're helping helping people in this grand and dramatic way. 
Yeah. Interesting. Uh, a few of the other names that you have on this list that people may find noteworthy, um, longtime sort of infamous pollster Mark Penn, uh, Les Wexner, famously very mm. close associate of Jeffrey Epstein, um, and uh, Congressman David Trone, which gets to the, even though this is technically not a you know, directly electoral politics organization, how impactful they are in terms of American politics. And to further underscore that, I was reminded of the fact that APAC leadership actually was granted a meeting with Netanyahu just a few months back. But uh, in what ways, talk about the significance of Representative Trone, who's now running for Senate in Maryland, of his donation and the way that they're already deploying some of this money in order to shape American politics. Uh, yeah, so Trone is uh, interestingly uh, rare. Uh, his 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 uh, campaign he's running for Senate was uh, was was happy to confirm this because he's actually discussed his you know support for for Israel and 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 uh, his support for APAC in the past. Uh, and so, you know, fundamentally, as part of the reporting process, this was helpful for us to confirm the you know veracity of the list and the information that we got in general. Uh, and then and then with him specifically. Um, he's uh, getting money back through uh, the APAC PAC, which is a, 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 a they recently uh, in the 2022 election cycle formed uh, two groups, a super PAC and a PAC. So, so, so through the APAC PAC, they can earmark contributions from donors directly to him. Um, and so that's what's been going on uh, recently with him. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's basically, you know, uh, the idea that he, uh, that he himself is donating and then in a way kind of getting the money back uh, I guess you could see it that way, but you know, kind of more generally speaking, he clearly has uh, uh, stated where he where he um, where he is in the political spectrum. You know, he is uh, a proud uh, APAC supporter. Um, interestingly, uh, he has recently expressed uh, support for a ceasefire, um, and so and so. Yeah, I think it is showing that as the um, you know as as this war is continuing, uh, some of the uh, traditional hardline. Uh, support maybe maybe wavering in certain ways. Um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll learn as as this continues. Um, and then yeah, and then more generally, what we saw in the 2022 um, through their apex through through their more newly formed organizations uh, effectively spending money in Democratic primaries, um, and so uh, going after anyone that is deemed to be critical of Israel. Um, and they uh, also did so not by spending money on Israel, but actually spending money on the other campaign issues in any given uh, number of those right. primaries. Um, so, uh, so it's just a way of um, of, uh, of spending money in a yeah what what proved to be a very effective way. I think the, yeah, they basically in the majority of the primaries that they that they entered that they spent money and they were successful in uh, getting their preferred candidate uh, over the over the line. Yeah, well, and there were also instances as Ryan Grimm reported in his book, where just the possibility of them getting involved in a primary was enough to uh, win over the unconditional support of John Fetterman, apparently, in the state of Pennsylvania. And we've seen how the way that that has all played out. Um, Amos, thank you so much. Uh, this report is incredibly important. I think people need, at the very least, to understand uh, where the money is coming from and the groups that are influencing our, our politics and why we see some of the dynamics unfolding that we have. So thank you so much for joining us today to un unpack some of that. Thanks, Amos. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching. As we said, we've got the RFK Junior Focus Group uh, that is coming out or actually happening today. It'll be coming out soon. Thanks to our premium subscribers. You can watch it early, breakingpoints.com. Otherwise, we'll see you all tomorrow. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybretza.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.